Alrighty, here we go. You guys ready? Oh, I'm so excited. If I could just sit in that place for like hours. Anyone else? Man, so good. Thank you, your worship team, for being amazing, amazing host uh, to his presence. Um, but before we jump in, I want to invite Tina and uh, Kenan Hearwater up to the middle. I want to introduce you guys to some people uh, that we love. You might have seen them a couple Sundays leading us, and uh, we just want to introduce them. So, uh, and Z, this is Zion, sweet boy, and uh, Tina and Kenan have actually stepped on our leadership team, and uh, Kenan is over production. Um, you know, he is honestly just such a gift, such a blessing, especially as we transition you know, with live stream and all these crazy things. It requires a lot more, and it's such a, a godsend uh, that he came. And Tina is our new worship director. Uh, Spencer has transitioned to take over prayer room. And uh, these guys have just been so incredible. Um, it's just a crazy story. You could probably ask them sometime, the journey of it. Uh, they're probably the, the, the quickest people we've ever raised up on leadership. Uh, we do them for like a month. And we're like, hey, the Lord's on this. And we never do that. And uh, so we, we honestly are just so thankful for you guys and for your leadership. I mean, I don't know about you. I already am seeing so much culture shift. Uh, they have such pastoral hearts, and they really value excellence. They really value uh, heart health in their team. And, uh, yeah, do you guys want to share anything or do you just want me to pray for, you, pray for you guys? I don't know if you have anything you want to share. Awesome. Well, let's just bless, uh, bless this beautiful family. Um, they have, I mean, it's only been a few weeks, but they've already done so much and so much sacrifice for our church. So can we just stretch your hands out uh, as we bless this family? Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, for the Hearwaters. Thank you for Kenan and Tina and Zion. Lord, we just bless their beautiful family uh, as they step into this role of ministry, Lord, at a greater capacity. Uh, I pray that you'd continue to expand their capacity. I pray that you'd continue to grace them for what they're called to do and to also give them uh, wisdom in what they're not supposed to do. Uh, we thank you for what they're going to do in this new season of breakthrough uh, as they shift and create such a beautiful culture within our church. Uh, we just honor them as leaders. We bless them as leaders in our church. And Lord, we just say thank you for their family. Uh, thank you for what they're doing uh, in uh, your kingdom through this church. And so we just bless them. Lord, give them, uh, yeah, give them what they need to thrive in this season. And we bless you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We love you guys. Bless you guys. Thanks, y'all. All righty, you guys, you guys ready? I'm so ready. Guys, we've got an hour left. Isn't that wild? It's like when I start preaching, we have like 20 minutes. So I'm going to preach for an hour and a half. You guys ready? I might. I don't know. We'll see. Um, man, so good. We are so excited. Have you guys been enjoying this series? Has this been blessing anyone in the room? Uh, we've been diving into this series, and it's, it's kind of funny because, honestly, to me, it doesn't feel like a series. It's just like who we are. And uh, even, you know, today's the last sermon in this series, but uh, we're continuing to cultivate this uh, as we continue to grow and move on. And so uh, House is Presence is honestly, this is our mission. This is our desire as a community. Uh, I heard a, a quote one time that said, uh, what if instead of, instead of building churches that attract people, we build churches that attract God? And I feel like that's so, so, so true. And uh, that's just our desires. Yes, we value people. We value discipleship. We value 
outreach and we do all those things. But who knows that the first thing has to remain the first thing. The main thing has to remain the main thing. And I feel that there is such a significance in the body when the body is in order. When God's desire and God's design is put back in its right, rightful place. And so as we journey through this, guys, I, I want you to, to really just stay with me. Because there's a lot to cover this morning, but I really believe that this is going to bless us. Uh, the last thing I want is just to give you information. The last thing I want is just to give you cool theological connections through scripture. My desire is for you to come out of this and be transformed. My desire from this is that you'd come out of this place, right? Because faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God, that you'd come from this moment and leave with more faith. You would leave this place with a, a deeper hunger and a deeper desire to want to know Jesus and to look like him. Amen. And so I want to give you guys permission. Has anyone been to a black church before? Yeah. I love black church because everyone participates. So I just want to give you permission. You don't have to be quiet. Right? And this isn't, I don't preface this, this isn't to, to feed my ego. But who knows that the power in life and death is in your tongue. And so the word amen means let it be unto me. <laughs> and so when truth is proclaimed, you have a moment where you can come into agreement with truth. So I just want to invite you guys into that. All right, can we do that this morning? There we go. There we go. All right, we'll get there, guys. We'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. All right, well, let's jump right in. Uh, I want to start here. We sang about this this morning, uh, but the word presence, we have to understand this as we build a house for his presence. The word presence literally translates to face. In Hebrew, it's panim, which means face. So anytime you see the word presence in scripture or face in scripture, it means the same thing. And I think this is so significant. I want you to, just, to take a moment. This is so significant that God's desire for us is that we would live face to face. His presence could have been his feet. He could be like, my desire is for you just to live looking at my feet. And that still would have been more than enough, right? But he says, no, I actually want you to know me face to face. Why? Because it's relational. Have you ever, I don't, I don't know, some of you maybe have made eye contact with people that you don't know and it's awkward. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're trying to talk to someone and maybe it's you or maybe it's them and like they're trying not to have eye contact because they're kind of uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? And the reason that is is because you don't really know that person. And so this invitation when God says, hey, I want you to know me face to face. In Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve hid from the face of God. They, they, they turned away from his face. And in his face, we discover who he is. Right, the woman who was caught in adultery, you guys know the story, right? The Pharisees bring her to him to test Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, the law says if she committed adultery, she should be stoned. And Jesus elevates the law and he says, well, you who is without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. And all of them start dropping it. 
They all walked away, and Jesus has a face-to-face moment. Listen, a face-to-face moment with this broken woman. He says, woman, who here condemns you? She looks at him and face-to-face. She says, no one does. Why? The reality is all of them were and probably still are as they're walking away, but she saw his face, and his face didn't show condemnation. His face didn't show shame. His face didn't show anger. His face showed compassion. His face showed mercy. (laughs) And so it's in the place of his face that we discover who he is. You guys tracking? Man, I have this moment just as we're worshiping today. And I was just really encountering the Lord. I think we're singing the first love, right? And I felt the Lord spoke this to me. And I think in that environment, a lot of people would look at that from the outside and be like, man, that's just too emotional. We get that a lot, right? That's charismatics. It's too emotional. But the Lord said to me, said, if you say that, then you've never been in love. And I think it's, it's so important for us to realize this guy. God's a person. And yes, emotions, that's not the goal. That's not the pursuit. That's not, the, that's not what we're going after. It's him. Who knows God is love. Love is an emotion. And when you encounter him, your soul has to respond. And so when we talk about his presence, I want you to hear this. His presence is less about a feeling. It's more about a knowing. We talk about his presence when we pursue his presence, when we say, show me your face. It's less about trying to feel something. It's, it's about knowing him, right? Be still and what? Know. This is eternal life to what? To know him. I love Philippians 3.8. It says this, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value. Say infinite value. The infinite value of knowing him. Okay, think about my relationship with my wife. That we're close. Yes, there's feelings, but we're close because I know her. I know her face. I know her nature. I know what she's like. I know her voice. I know how she responds to me. I know how she wants to be loved. I know that I'm loved by her. I know that I'm safe around her. This is what it's about, guys. It's about being near to him and knowing him. If we're just here to chase goosebumps, it's not enough. But if we're here to chase him, everything else will fall in place. Psalm 105, verse 4, I love this. It says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Seek his face always. Not just on Sundays. Not when there's worship music. Not when your favorite song comes on. But seek his face always. And so this morning, guys, I want to talk about 
what it actually means to be a presence people. What does this actually mean? And my goal here, I, I don't want to just fit scripture around my concept. <laughs> I want to show you that this actually is in scripture. And this is God's concept. So let's start here in Exodus 19. Exodus 19, 5 to 6. Woo. So I'll take a deep breath. In, deep breath out. We've made it this far. All right. Exodus 19, 5 to 6, it says this. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, verse 6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Say priest. And a holy nation, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Okay, so this is God speaking to Moses, right? We know the story. The Israelites just left captivity. They're wandering throughout the wilderness. And God speaks to his people and says, I want to build a nation. I want to make a covenant with my people. That this has been God's desire from the beginning, that within the context of covenant to create a kingdom of priests, a people that are his own, who are in relationship with him, who are set apart, and live in partnership to represent him to the world he loves. And I want us to see this, that God had a purpose for delivering the Israelites out of slavery. I want you to hear this. <laughs> he didn't just deliver them just to deliver them. He didn't just free them just to free them. That we have to understand this even for ourselves. God doesn't just free you from something. He frees you into something. And so when the Israelites came out, I want you to hear this. The Israelites came out of generations, generational oppression. They had no identity. They were slaves. All they knew how to do is work and work. And they were... You know, they were not the head, they were the tail, they're at the bottom, right? And God delivers them to give them a new identity. He says, my desire for my people is that they would have this very specific identity and it would be to be a kingdom of priests. This is very significant. And as you guys know the story, Israel breaks the covenant several times, Right? But what God does is he chooses a specific family. So the people of Israel, right, there's 12, 12 tribes. And one of the tribe was called the tribe of Levi. And it was this specific tribe that God said, this is the tribe that's actually now going to fulfill this covenant because everyone else broke it. And we know the story of the, the, the golden calf, right? Moses comes down and he sees his people worshiping an idol. It's like, guys, what are we doing, Right? At all these crazy encounters and just worshiping an idol. What's interesting is that the tribe of Levi was the only tribe that wasn't worshiping. And so this tribe, he set apart, okay? I'm giving a lot of context here to, to, to land where we need to go. Deuteronomy 18 verse 5 says this, For the Lord, your God, chose the tribe of Levi out of all the tribes to do what? To minister, say minister, in the Lord's name forever. All right, so priest's duties 
We're to steward God's dwelling place, the tabernacle, to be mediators between God and man, to offer sacrifices, and to ultimately minister to him. And even though they had limited access, God's presence was their priority. This quote, it says this, only the priests, specifically the high priests, were allowed to physically draw near to the Lord and petition the Lord to bestow mercy and holiness on the people. They were consecrated or set apart for the purpose of drawing close to him and worshiping him in the most intimate way. And they were meant to be a true example to the rest of Israel of what God desired for each one of them. So the Levites, they were consecrated for one thing. They weren't allowed to work the field, right? They weren't ha- allowed to have their own business. They, they had one specific duty, and that was to minister to the Lord. They had one specific duty, and that was to be in God's presence. And I love this, because in Deuteronomy 18, verse 5, let's go back there. It says this, the tribe of Levi, out of all your tribes, to minister in the Lord's name forever, which means that this calling has not ceased. All right, let's go to New Testament, First Peter 2.9. Now, this is Peter speaking to the church, and he says, but you now are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Who's heard this verse before? Right, a lot of us have heard this verse. But we miss this thing. We're like, okay, we hear chosen, we hear special, we hear praises. But there's a lot of other meat in there, right? There's a lot of, a lot more going on here. And so Peter is saying, he says, as the church, us here and now, we are invited into a new priesthood and one that fulfills Exodus 19. And with Jesus as our high priest who opened up full access to his presence through the cross, we no longer have limited access or need someone else to enter in. Guys, this is so important. It's crucial to understand our identity as priests before the Lord. I know this term might sound weird. Maybe when you hear about it, you think of, you know, maybe the Pope, right, or the Catholic Church, or, you know, someone with a long dress. But there's this identity that God has given his church that I think we have no clue about. That the fact that we now have been given this identity, right, we've been taken out of captivity, right, just like the Israelites, and we've been brought into the promised land, which is life for the Jesus, we've been given this identity. And what's so powerful about this identity is that every single one of you has it, but not everyone walks in it. And this identity, if I was to simplify, it's simply the fact that you now have full access. That's it. If I could just boil it down in its simplest form, you now have full access. That the old covenant priests, they had limited access. They still had access, though it was limited. But you now as 
chosen people, a royal priesthood, you now have full access. And I think, guys, the moment that we actually understand that, it changes everything. It changes how we worship. It changes how we read scripture. It changes how we love people. It changes how we pursue our, quote, callings. And it changes how we pursue our, quote, right, future goals and all of that when we understand this calling. And so a priestly people are a presence people. And a presence people are a priestly people. Revelation 1.6 reiterates this. And it says, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And so this morning, guys, what I want to talk about is what it actually means to be a priestly people. What does this actually mean? What does this look like to live this out? What does this actually uh, uh, do for us as a people that as people who desire for God's presence, not just conceptually, but to actually dwell amongst us, to actually fill every lack in our life, to actually come and empower us to do, right, what he's called us to do, we actually have to understand what this means. So number one, what does it mean to be a priestly people? The first thing is that priestly people live connected to the blood. You guys ready? Priestly people live connected to the blood. Leviticus 17.11, it says this, for the life of the body is in its blood. I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given exchange, in exchange for life that makes purification possible. All right, so I wanna show you that the old covenant is a shadow, right, for the reality that we now live in. And so the Levites, the old covenant priests, that they had to administer sacrifices morning and night. Every morning and night, they had to get a lamb or grab a goat, and they had to sacrifice it, right, for the purifications of their sins. This is what God instituted, right? We see this here, right? For the life of the, blood, of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood at the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. And so every day, like I want you to, to, to picture this. I know it feels so far removed, but every day they, they were so connected to the sacrifice. Every day they, they had to wake up, right? It's the first thing I gotta do when I wake up, I grab a lamb and I have to, to feel the weight of, of my sin and mistakes and that this thing is covering it for me. And they would grab the lamb and right, they would kill it and they would put it on the altar and then they would burn it. The priests, they would have felt the warmth of the blood on their hands and felt connected to the weight of the sacrifice each and every day. And so guys, if the old covenant priests were so diligent and connected to stewarding the blood of the lambs, how much more should new covenant priests be connected to the blood and sacrifice of the perfect lamb of God, Jesus? This is where we start, guys. Because how often do we become numb to the greatest act of love the world has ever known? How often are we worshiping passionately, but our heart is so cold? 
our heart is so disconnected. Our heart is so unaware of what we're actually doing and singing to. And so this has to be the starting point. If we wanna be presence people or priestly people, we have to live connected to the blood. Right, we cannot love if we're not first connected to his love for us and the world. That when we sing about the cross, when we think about a sacrifice, right? Jesus says, take this cup, this is my blood of the new covenant. Take this, drink this as often in remembrance of me. As often to remember. This is, this is part of our priestly duty as new covenant priests is we have to stay connected to the blood. It's important to know that we never graduate from this place. How do I know this? Because heaven hasn't either. Heaven hasn't stopped. Like the lamb is so worthy. 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 Ephesians 2.13 says, but now you have been united with Christ once you're far away from God, but now you've been brought near, say brought near, to him through the what? The blood of Christ. And so his blood is the very thing that has purchased our redemption. It's the very thing that has made us right in the sight of God and brought us back into his presence, that his blood is the access point. It's the doorway in. This is why we enter with thanksgiving, guys. We enter his courts, his gates with thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving? Coming into agreement with what he's done. What did he do? He died on the cross. And so this is so crucial, guys. You cannot get disconnected from the cross. You can't. The moment you do, you start making up your own theology. The moment you do, you start thinking false things about who God is. That if you want to know how God sees you, look at the cross. He's, he hung there for you. That the new covenant priesthood is based upon the single sacrifice of Jesus. That his sacrifice is the foundation and source of all of our spiritual activity. That when our hearts are alive to his sacrifice, our worship becomes pleasing to him. All right, the second thing is priestly people's primary ministry is to the Lord. This is important. That your primary ministry as a priest, as a presence person is to the Lord. Isaiah 61 verse six says, you will be called priest of the Lord, ministers of our God. So we have to understand that ministry to the Lord is priestly duty. And today, when we hear the term ministry, we inevitably think of terms of ministry to people's needs, right? We think of the lost, the poor, which is all important. But there is an area of ministry that we often forget. It's a ministry to the Lord. The word minister in Hebrew can mean to serve, to attend to, to stand, to remain, or to abide. 
And what's interesting is that priests in the Old Testament, they only ministered with limited access. So if you guys know the tabernacle, right, there was the outer courts where they can come do their sacrifices. People can, you know, worship. And then there's the inner courts, okay? And then there's the holy of holies. The priests can go in the inner courts, but there's a veil between them and the ark, right, which is where God's presence dwelled. And a high priest... So only one person can go behind the veil to actually go and experience God's tangible presence. That was one time a year. And so even though they had limited access, what was significant was that what they did was unto him. What they did was directly to him. How many times do we do things for the Lord, but it's not actually unto the Lord? that we can do a lot of amazing things for the Lord out of obedience. We can do a lot of amazing things and help people, which I'm gonna touch on, and serving the lost and, and going to the nations. But I want you guys to see how significant this is. It's because this ministry is directly to him. All right. So they had more access than anyone else in Israel, and they have the privilege of being able to be in proximity to him and give him what he's worthy of. So we have to ask ourselves, is this ministry our first ministry? Now, we don't minister to him out of need, but out of desire. We don't minister to him because he lacks something, but because we get to give him something. Does that make sense? First Chronicles 16, verse 4. This is a lot, of, a lot of information. You guys okay? All right. First Chronicles 16 verse 4, it says this, that he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to extol, right, which means to praise enthusiastically, to thank, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, so this verse is in context to David's tabernacle, which we've been talking about for a long time. If you don't know what that is, David brought the ark, God's presence, back in the center of Israel, right? It was neglected, it was stored away. Worship was stored away for 40 years under the reign of Saul. David brings it back, he pitches a tent, and around this tent, it's different than Moses' tabernacle. In this tent, there's no veil. It's just the ark and worship, and that's it. There's no veil that they're offering now aren't animals, it's actually the worship. And what he did is he instituted 24-7 day and night worship for 33 years. And so the Levites, right, these priests, that now their ministry to the Lord wasn't just taking care of the tabernacle and, and it wasn't just, you know, slaughtering lambs and slaughtering goats. It was now to extol, to thank, and to praise. This is, this is why our modern concept of worship even exists. So during David's tabernacle, he reformed what priestly ministry looked like, that David tapped into a new covenant reality, that the Levites' duty were now to host the presence of God through continually ministering to him, right? Because he's enthroned upon the praises of his people. In David's tent, there was no veil. Their offering was no longer the blood of animals, but it was now the sacrifice of praise that they ministered directly to the Lord. To help frame this, ministry to the Lord is the response of loving God in proximity to his presence. Ministry to the Lord is the response of loving God in proximity to 
his presence. First Peter 2, 5 says this, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy, what? Priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. So again, the church is called a priesthood as priests, the Bible instructs us to offer spiritual sacrifices. In Jesus, our worship now becomes our priestly ministry. Praise now becomes our offering. The sacrifices that we offer, guys, aren't atoning sacrifices. We're not giving God a sacrifice to get something from him. We're not giving God a sacrifice to be made right with him. That we give God a sacrifice now out of a response to his ultimate sacrifice. I love this quote, Chris Burns, he says this, our worship graduates to priestly ministry when we can say this, God, even if I don't feel you, you're gonna feel me. And what would happen when we worship, it's not about just like saying songs in Kumbaya anymore. It's actually like, wait, there's a spiritual offering that I can bring the Lord that actually blesses him. Not because he's insecure, not because he needs something, but because we can do it. <laughs> that what we do is actually now not just behind a veil, it's on the other side of the veil. And who knows that when you're in love, love looks like something. And I love this quote. So I'm gonna be real with you, right? There's moments in worship I don't feel anything. There's, I mean, Today, right? There's moments you don't feel anything. But that isn't our gauge if God is here or not. <laughs> and I love this because this is, this is the shift. And I want us to see this. This is the shift that happens because every single one of you is a worshiper. It doesn't matter if you're not a musician. A worshiper is not a musician. A worshiper can be a musician. But Jesus says the Father is seeking, what? True worshipers. Which means there's fake worshipers. <laughs> so he's seeking true worshipers that worship in spirit and truth. It says, God, even if I don't feel you, you're gonna feel my worship. You're gonna receive what I'm here to give. And why this is so important is because the priestly calling actually melts consumer Christianity. It actually destroys the thing, the idol, the thing that makes worship about entertainment. It destroys the thing that makes worship about what we can get from it. Next year, we'll probably do a series on biblical worship. But I think this is so crucial, guys. When we're talking to our leadership, I think there's just so much that we have to unlearn of what worship actually is. Because we've seen it done, whether in good intentions or not, we've seen it done from a performance. We've seen it done, you know, just to look good, or we've seen it done to appear more spiritual. But we have to come into this moment and say, is this actually done to minister to him, to bless his heart, right, to move his heart? Jesus is asked, what is the first and greatest command, right? It's to love him. So the first thing has to remain the first thing. So to boil it all down, ministry to the Lord is simply first commandment living. It's first commandment living. It's living with the reality that I'm here 
to first love the Lord. All right, the third one. Priestly people are carriers of his presence. Say, I carry his presence. That in the Old Testament, only the Levites, only the priests were allowed to carry, right, the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's presence dwelled. First Chronicles 15 verse 2 says this, and David said, no one but the Levites or the priests may carry the Ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the Ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. That where his ark was, his throne was, where his throne was, his presence was, and where God's presence was, so was his kingdom. That our desire, guys, for God's presence to dwell is synonymous with his kingdom. That his kingdom is his rule and reign. Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we say, God, we want your presence, we're inviting God's rule and reign. And who, na- who knows that the earth needs his rule and reign? Who knows our schools, our homes, our businesses, right? These streets need his rule and reign. And so God's presence is carried by his priest. His presence is carried by people who carry a heart of worship. And so those who live, right, in such proximity to him are those who are able to represent, right, to represent, to represent his face to the world. And I, and I want us to see this because we, we value God's presence so much, but I want you to understand this, it isn't just for us. It doesn't just end here. That as presence people, who live in proximity to him, wherever you go, you get to represent his face. And who knows, God's face has been very misconstrued in the world. God's face is, is covered, it's been mocked, it's been distorted. And so as people who actually know him, I, I say this all the time, right, because I really hone in on this thing that, that our primary ministry is his. And some, some people get offended by that, that's okay. But the reality is, guys, is that we can only invite someone to someone we know. We can only invite people into something that we actually know. And so there's this thing where it's like, you know, I went to Liberty and, you know, I, I knew people who went and did global studies. You do your, your trip, and this isn't a dog in anyone that's done that, but they go on their missions trip and they come back hating God because <laughs> they're just jaded or it's too hard, and that's real. Not everyone's called to go overseas. But the reality is, is you can only invite someone to know what you know. And guys, if you don't know his face, I have to ask, who are you showing people? What Jesus are you inviting them into? Because we say this a lot, this isn't about a philosophy. You can tell people a a philosophy. You can give people theology. That's so important. But it cannot replace the person. 
Charles Finney says this, that the presence of God is in the church, the church will draw the world in. The presence of God is not in the church, the world will draw the church out. And so guys, we need a presence-driven church. That scripture makes this clear that God's presence is central to his goal and his redemptive mission. That we see this in Genesis, that God gave Adam and Eve a purpose, and their purpose was as their family would expand, right, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion over the earth. As their family expands, so too will the borders of the garden expand. That as their family, right, family is the vehicle, I believe, to carry revival. That as family expands, that know him, God's presence will ultimately expand on the earth. As we know that gets distorted and what ends up expanding isn't God's presence, it's sin. And so now as the church, we're, we're invited to, to fulfill all of, all of these things that God has been whispering on the earth. Israel, you're supposed to be a holy nation, kingdom of priests. Adam and Eve, you're supposed to expand my dominion on the earth. And so guys, we are created to usher and carry his presence, that all of God's work began and ends with him dwelling with man. But I want us to see this, that God's presence, guys, is missional. Who knows that God loves the lost more than we do? God loves the lost way more than we do. And so when we're in his presence, we're gonna catch on to his heart. When we're near him and we see his face and we're in proximity to him, we're gonna catch his heart for the lost and the broken. But it has to start with him. Right, there's a reason that we're called royal priest or kingdom of priests. It's because we're also called to expand his rule and reign on the earth. I'm gonna go into it, but and David's rule and reign when he brought the ark back and he prioritized God's presence, they prioritized worship. Israel experienced economic region-wide revival. And imagine a third world nation suddenly becoming super influential because they prioritized God's presence. And it was all connected to the fact that they hosted the Lord. The last one, you guys ready? Priestly people live fully set apart. So first, to recap, right? Priestly people live connected to the blood. Priestly people's primary ministry is to the Lord. Priestly people are carriers of his presence. The last one is that priestly people live fully set apart. But Exodus 28 verse 1, it says this. Set them apart from the rest of the people, so speaking of the priest, so that they may minister to me, right, and be my priest. Guys, as priests, as presence people, we're called to be set apart. But who knows that if you are not living, or sorry, if you are living as a priest, then you're not gonna look like the rest of the world. If you are called to live set apart, then you're not gonna look like the rest of the world. What does that mean? That means that 
you think differently than the world. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Doesn't mean that you can't like fashion and you can't, you know, enjoy good food and you can't like good things and good movies. It simply means that there is a severing that happens that says, I am a person that lives without compromise. That I'm a person that says, I want to live in such close proximity to the Lord, right? Because who knows that if we're following Jesus, we're actually, he's actually leading us, right? If you say you're a follower, Jesus actually has to lead you. It's saying, I'm living in such close proximity that I'm just following in his footsteps. I don't want to get off the path. Now, guys, at some point, we have to come into the realization that there is, there is a cost and always will be a cost in following Jesus. Guys, there's things you're going to have to say no to. Right, pick up your cross daily, not just one moment. There are things you're going to have to say no to that you really want, but you're going to have to sacrifice if you want to fully walk with him. If you want to fully look like him, if you want to fully represent him. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says this, all things may be lawful, but not all things are profitable. That's a good rule of thumb, right? All things may be lawful. It may be okay, but doesn't mean it's profitable. Uh, Leviticus 20, 26. I love this. God says this, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I've set you apart from the nations. What's this last thing say? To be my own. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. There's several reasons God sets us apart, but the main reason is to be fully his. And so when I say this, I, 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 I know so many people have used this as like, like a religious thing. This isn't. God longs for you to be set apart because he wants you to be fully his. So guys, just like in marriage, when you are in covenant, you are set apart from every other person to be with your spouse and your spouse alone. That we have to understand this, guys, that intimacy with Jesus has to be our primary motivation. Otherwise, this easily can turn into legalism. Intimacy, being his, has to be our primary motivation. Otherwise, this can easily turn into legalism. Watchman Nee says this, a forgiven sinner is quite different than an ordinary sinner. And a consecrated Christian is quite different than an ordinary Christian. So I want to end on this. Actually, the whole worship team, you guys can come up if you want. But how we sustain this, okay, is we've been going for weeks. We've been talking about God's presence. We've been talking about learning how to host him. We've been talking about what all this means. And I believe there's one thing that's going to allow us to actually sustain this. Because who, who wants to sustain this? Right? I don't want this just to be a moment. I don't want this to just be a movement. I don't want this just to be, man, that was a really cool thing that happened at Breakthrough in 2022. 
How do we actually sustain this fire, sustain this hunger, sustain this desire? Can I give that to you? How we sustain this, guys, is to learn the fear of the Lord. No amen to that. How we learn to actually sustain this is to learn to, to, to learn the fear of the Lord. It's gonna take a whole sermon to unpack that, but John Bevere, he, he, he breaks this down, I think, so beautifully. He says this, to put it simply, to fear God is to love him so much that we're afraid to be away from him, that we love him and value his presence above all. Out of reverence for him, we choose to love what he loves and hate what he hates. To love what he loves and to hate what he hates. John Bevere, he shares this story. He had a, a friend. They went to this church conference and, you know, they were doing healings and all this stuff. And this guy, I, I believe he was addicted to alcohol. He had an alcohol problem. And he goes to this meeting. And he's like, I'm ready. Like, I want to get healed. I'm going to get delivered. He brings a friend with him who's also an alcoholic. His friend instantly gets delivered. And he leaves and nothing happened. He's like, what the heck? Like, I brought a friend and he got healed and I didn't. It was like, Lord, why didn't I get healed from this thing? And the Lord said this to him. So the reason that you didn't get healed is because you like it too much. And this is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's because it actually keeps us in perfect alignment. That we say, we're not going to touch that. That's unclean. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. That's not going to feed my soul. I'm not going to dabble with that. It's not going to help my ministry. It's not going to help my marriage. And guys, this isn't legalism. It can be, but it isn't if it's done from the place of love. God, teach us to hate what you hate. I believe that's just such a powerful prayer. God hates what is destroying you. God hates what is keeping you away from fully being his. God hates what keeps pushing you to compromise. God hates those lies that you keep believing. God hates self-righteousness that feels like you've arrived without him. God, teach us to hate what you hate. So I'm going to end here. You guys can stand up. So give you guys some context. When Israel was wandering in the wilderness... But every tribe was given land, right? They set up their, their, their almost their little cities. And Israel at this time was like, I believe over 600,000 people. The tabernacle was in the middle, right? That's where God's presence was dwelling. They have all their camps of all the different tribes. And what's interesting is that every tribe was given a plot of land, except for the Levites, 
the priests weren't giving any land. Stay with me. And you would think, wait, 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 wait. Isn't the Levites like the good ones? Like aren't they the, the set apart ones? Shouldn't they be getting the most reward? What's interesting is they weren't given land because they're plotted in each tribe. They're scattered to be a representation to the rest of the people of what God desired for them. Deuteronomy 18 verse 2, it speaks to this. It says this. They shall have no inheritance among their fellow Israelites. Why? Because the Lord is their inheritance. That's it. The Lord is their everything. The Lord is their reward. The Lord is their portion. But they may not have as much money or provision as all the other tribes, but their life was filled with abundance because he was their reward. He was their provision. And so just as we end, I feel like there's just a response. There's a call. Where the Lord is inviting us and he's saying, will you be fully mine? Will you be fully mine? propose a convicting question if Jesus was walking this earth and you are following him would your walk reflect what he would desire calling his church to step into what he paid for you to step into. That we won't just be a passive people, but we would actually be a people that long to dwell and live in full proximity to him. And so let's just respond in the few minutes that we have. tell Jesus, Jesus, I want to give it all. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means, but God, I want to give it all. I want to be a priestly person. I want to be a presence person. I want to live in full access with you as my inheritance. So let's just press into this, whatever you guys are feeling.